Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. chapter 19 and go through, um, where do you break up the, no, let's go 1 through 16. Anybody want to read 1 through 16 or you can take half of it and then, sure, pass. sure, oh yeah. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. When Pilate tried to release him, then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate, Jesus, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover, and Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Thank you. What do you guys see going on here? I've read this so many times, but I never realized that he was not only wearing the crown of thorns, but a purple robe. I wonder if that had any meaning of anything. Um, Isn't purple like a sign, like the color of the sign of royalty? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's cool. Um, I think it was an additional layer of mockery on top of like a crown of thorns or the way of mockery. I think he was saying, King, I will give you a crown of thorns and a purple robe. I think Mm -hmm. that. 
about verse 7 um so they had a law that like if people were to call themselves son of god that they should just like kill them mm-hmm. and they considered it blasphemy of presenting himself on the same level of god as god but they didn't even believe in god right the jews believe in god all oh, the, the jewish leaders yeah this, this is the jewish I'll leaders saying okay this. exactly yes their, the Jewish leaders were taking them to the Romans because the the Romans are essentially the Romans have power over the Jews, um, and the the Romans took away the Jewish people's right to execute. They're not allowed to kill people. Um, they can like stone them. They can like by certain ways. They're like, we don't want to just stone this guy. We want to crucify him, but we're not allowed to do that. So Romans, you have to do it. So they're trying to present their case to them. Mm-hmm. And Pilate, who's the judge in this case, has said multiple times he's not guilty. I don't find any fault with him. Mm-hmm. So now they start turning the table, and they're like, "Well, this guy calls himself a king, and our only king is Caesar." So they're trying to turn the king on the table on on Pilate. They're like, so Pilate, if if you don't kill him, then you're not a friend to Caesar, and you're going against your king. You're going against like your overruler, your your boss, and you know. So now, now Pilate's starting to be like, mm, wow, maybe I need to just get rid of this guy because I don't want to get in trouble with my boss, essentially. I don't want to get, I don't want Caesar to have an issue with me and see that I can't take control of this one situation. That's when he starts to give in. It's good. Anything else? We've got through 16 so far. This idea of convenience is like, it was convenient for the Jewish leaders at that time to be like, well, you're no friend of Caesar's if you don't do this. So that idea of like, we do what's most convenient for us, regardless of if it's right or wrong at times, or like we're capable of doing that. And like, Praying what you might know to be true because it's less convenient to believe it or to stand on that in some ways. I don't know, I'm kind of talking in circles, but that just sticks out to me of like, they didn't care about Caesar. They didn't, they, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't, it was all purely like self-centered motivation for them to be like, well, if you do this, then this, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, they, that sticks out to me. They hated Caesar. These people who are saying, you're no friend of Caesar, they hated Caesar. And they were hoping for a political messiah to deliver them from Caesar's oppression, but now they're rejecting Jesus, so now they're embracing Caesar. They're, you know, they have this enemy who is Caesar, and they're wanting a messiah to come and save them from Caesar and from all the, you know, everything that they're going through. And the Messiah comes, and they reject him, and they're like, no, 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 we don't want this guy who thinks he's the Messiah. We'll, we'll take Caesar, actually. Yeah, he's, Caesar's not that bad. We'll, well, we're okay with Caesar. Let's get rid of this guy. Yeah, they're just using their politics, mm-hmm. the, their current politics, to take advantage of the situation. Exactly. It's... That guy agrees out there. Yeah, for sure. Pilate knew what was right and what was just. He's, he's the judge here. He gets to say that Jesus lives or he dies, and Jesus is saying, you only have that power because it's been given to you from above. But Pilate knew he needs to either do what is just and face the consequences himself, or do what he's being pressured to do by the mob and preserve his way of life and preserve his job and life, essentially. So in the first verse here, Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. This this process was brutal. This process, and for anyone who's seen the Passion of Christ, it, it only just starts to scratch the surface of how brutal this process was. And they would, um, they would, they would do this for three reasons. They'd, they'd be whipping him. Um, and there's like all these barbs and hooks and stuff on the end 
Um, so it's it's ripping off flesh. It's ex gushing blood. It's exposing organs at some points. Um, and they're doing this for, for three hopes, or for three reasons. It's a form of punishment. Um, it's to extract a confession from the prisoner. Generally, they, they'll keep whipping, and they'll basically be going, Confess! And if they don't confess, they whip again, Confess! Until they get a confession from them. But Jesus doesn't have anything to confess, so he gets the, the full scourging. Um, and then with crucifixion, it's also to weaken the victim so they would die quicker on the cross. Anything else in here before we move on? Say that part again about dying quicker on the cross? The, they, all, all this whipping, the scourging, um, it's a punishment, it's to try to get a confession, and it's to weaken the victim leading up to execution, leading up to crucifixion. Let's go on from where we left off, 20 through 27. And we're going to take that part. 17, 18, and 19. Yeah, those two. <laughs> 17. Okay, I'll go. Go for it. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two other groups crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the King of the Jews to, he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate replied, No. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were, were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from, that, and from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Awesome. Thoughts, comments, observations, questions? What about what Pilate wrote? Any thoughts about that? I think Pilate was between was in a pretty tricky situation because I don't think I mean I think it's pretty clear that his he didn't want to crucify Jesus um, and he felt like he didn't have much of a choice I can't remember um, which account uh, and so forgive me if you guys have been over it but in one of the accounts his wife has a dream and says hey like meet you down so don't crucify this guy. He's innocent. Um, but he's in a pretty tricky spot because he's been given control over Jerusalem, which is the capital of the Jewish people, right? And he's kind of got dominion over that. And if these people start to get too rowdy or something starts to happen, he gets in trouble. Uh, and not the type that your head stays on. Mm -hmm. So he then is kind of in this position where he's, I think he's kind of like, hey, screw these guys. Like, screw, screw these leaders. But I don't have much of an option here. So, um, 
eh, the king of the Jews. Because that also probably gives them a little bit of a leg up when it comes to being Romans in the area. Like, hey, this is the leader of the Jewish people, and we took him out too. So like, we could take anybody else out. Like, no idea how historically accurate it is. That is, don't take that and run with it. I have no idea. But that feels like something that could have been uh, used at that time as well. Yeah. So then Pilate's like, eh, whatever, I don't care. Get over it. Pretty much. Yeah, kind of with you. I see, like, he probably just, he's mad at them that they forced his hand and yeah. that's something he didn't want to do. So to get back at them, he was like, I'm going I'm to get them mad by putting this. Yeah, it's and he put it in three different languages. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah, it could be, and it could be any of those reasons, or all of those reasons, and you know, we we don't quite know Pilate's heart, what what he was thinking. Um, you know, we don't know if Pilate is in heaven right now. We don't know if he's in hell. We don't know if he actually believed in who Jesus was, or if if he was just like, nah, I just don't know about this guy. Um, and we don't know if he did it just to to annoy the um, the leaders, Jewish leaders, who kind of twisted his arm. Or if he did it, you know, out of spite, if he did it because he believed, or if he did it, you know, just to show that he had control over the situation. But he, he stuck to his guns there. He finally, you know, he didn't get, let them push him around anymore. He's like, the sign says, King of the Jews. He's like, no, 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 no. Change it to, he said I'm the King of the Jews. He's like, nope, uh-uh, I already wrote it. It's done. What else? What else is going on here in this part? What about the what about some specific prophecy that was fulfilled here? Some scripture that was fulfilled. From twenty-three to twenty-four. Uh there's a cross-reference here to Psalm twenty-two eighteen. Psalm 22:18 says, "Well, oh, actually, I'm gonna go back a little bit more because this whole thing is." Uh, I'm gonna start from Psalm 22:14. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. And this is all prophecy to lead up to, to what Jesus will go through. Every, every single thing. I can count on my bones. His, his bones weren't broke, which we'll get into later. They divided his garments among themselves and threw dice for his clothing. They didn't want to tear the, the last article. They're kind of divided between themselves. Ooh, I'll take this. Ooh, I'll take that. Hey, let's split this. Ooh, this is really nice. Let's not split this. Let's just throw some dice for it and see who gets it. And we have no knowledge of whether or not that person knew they were prophesying about Jesus. They just had a song So, there are seven sayings, or seven phrases of Jesus while he's on the cross. Um, you kind of have to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all together to kind of get them all. Um, we, have, we have a handful of them here. Um, some of the first ones that we have here are, Dear woman, here is your son. And then saying to, you know, he's saying to his mother, Mary, Woman, here's your son. And then he's saying to, John, this disciple, here is your mother. And I'm going to start a little bit further back. In Luke, going in chronological order of his seven sayings on the cross, as, as he, is, he is now nailed to the cross, and the cross is elevated up, the first thing he says is, this is in Luke 23, the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know about you, 
But if I was just attached to this thing, and I was just whipped to a pulp, and I had to carry this up the mountain, and now they nail me to it, and they drop me in, they're gambling, they're throwing dice in my clothing, the first thing I say, me, Ben, would not be, Father, forgive them. I would have other words I would probably choose to say. But I'm not Jesus, which is a good thing. But Jesus, his first thing is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Most people will probably be up there, you know, saying other words and saying things like, I didn't do it, I'm innocent, let me down, stop this now, whatever. But Jesus' first words are speaking of forgiveness. His next phrase, speaking to the other, one of the other men on the cross next to him, was, today you will be with me in paradise. That's right after that saying of, um, in Luke 23. So we see, first, Jesus speaking forgiveness over them. Then we see him saving someone. The person on the cross next to him, one of them, saying, hey, you're, like, you're innocent. I know you didn't do anything. And he's like, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's saying, hey, you're, you're about to die, but you're going to be in heaven in a little bit. You're going to be with me in paradise. So... He's speaking forgiveness. He's speaking salvation. Now here he's saying, woman, behold your son. And he's, he's leading, again, between all, all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, we see John basically, or Jesus saying to John, like, take care of my mother. So... Speaking of forgiveness, he's speaking of salvation. He's saying, take care of my mom. Make sure she's taken care of. Again, he just, he just got tortured and whipped and had to carry his cross and his nail to the cross. And he's speaking of forgiveness. He's speaking of salvation. He's speaking of, make sure my mother's okay after this. All selfless things. Anybody know who's, uh, we may not have gotten into it yet. Does anybody know who's here right now? Who's, who's at the cross that Jesus knows? So far as we have discovered, we know that there's Mary, Mary's sister, uh, and Mary Magdalene, and John. Yep. Those are the ones that we know for certain are there, according to John's. Mm -hmm. We got John. John was the only disciple of his who was there. And then we have three Marys. Mary, Mary, and Mary. Mary his mom, Mary Magdalene, who originally he casted demons out of, and Mary, mother of Clopas. So we go from, if fast forward a handful, of, or sorry, rewind a handful of chapters, Jesus is providing food and there's thousands of people. He's speaking and, and he, he, he multiplies a few fish and bread and there's thousands of people. This, his, his lessons, his sermons, his teaching get hard. People start wandering away. He's saying, hey, drink my blood, eat my flesh. And they're like, yeah, I'm going this way. Um, and then he's preaching. He's, he has a lot of sermons, Sermon on the Mount, all these other things. There's hundreds of people. Um, the night prior to this, there's 12 people. And then Judas leaves to go betray him. Now there's 11 people. And then he's in the garden of that one. And there's three people, Peter, James, and John. And then we get to the cross. There's one disciple left, his mom, and two others. Four. Four people left. Just look, you just see here who who was with him to the end. Who, you know, all these people were like, you know, Jesus was saying, you know, someone here is going to betray me. And they're like, what? Who? Not me. No, not me. No, not me. Not me. Even Judas was like, what? Me? Um, but but when when it comes down to it, you see who's there with him. 
one disciple, John, and three Marys. There's a really interesting correlation with Jesus to someone else that we read about in the Bible. Last week, compared uh, Jesus, and remember else to who I compared him with? Some correlations. David. David. Remember some of the correlations? No. <laughs> yeah. David and Jesus were both crossing the Kidron, uh, Kidron Valley River there. David and Jesus were both rejected by the nation. They were both betrayed by a friend, and then those friends who rejected them killed themselves. So today I'm going to correlate Jesus to Abraham and Isaac. This is crazy. You guys ready for this? Genesis 22.2 is the very first time in the Bible that the word love appears in the Bible. God is saying to Abraham, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That's the first time the word love appears in the Bible. So we see a, a huge correlation here, really interesting. I, I never knew this until this week. Jesus and Abraham, they're both promised children who were miraculously conceived. Right? Abraham and Sarah weren't supposed to be able to have a kid. They had Abraham at, and then they had Isaac at, and when he was 100. And Jesus was miraculously conceived through the Holy Spirit, through Mary. Both are called their father's only son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Both are to be sacrificed by their loving father. God gave Jesus as a sacrifice to the world. And Abraham was supposed to be sacrificing his son. Here's an interesting one. They're both to be sacrificed in the same place. The land of Moriah, this um, this mountain range, this hilly area, um, is where Golgotha is. It's not necessarily the exact same place where they're both sacrificed, but in that same range. Both are to be sacrificial lambs to God on wood. And they both had to carry up their own wood on their back to die on. Isaac had to carry up the wood. You know, his father Abraham said, All right, carry this wood with me. Carry this wood, and we're going to make a sacrifice to God. And Isaac wasn't that little. He was well aware of how sacrifices work and that you need a sacrifice in order to sacrifice. And he saw that there was no lamb that was with them. Probably had an idea of what might be happening, um, but he went up anyway. He didn't resist. He was he was old enough. He could have he could have fought back, resisted, but he didn't. You know, he didn't he didn't go. What are you doing, Dad? Why am I strapped down to the table? Why are you holding a knife above me? Why is that knife coming closer to me? And he he didn't do any of that. He didn't say that. He didn't resist. He didn't fight back. He he was a willing sacrifice. And Jesus did the same thing. He wasn't like. God, you said, I gotta do what? He's like, no, I know what I gotta do. They both voluntarily submitted to their being sacrificed. And both uh, Abraham and Jesus, those uh, accounts, both conclude with Jesus, or with God will provide. A really interesting correlation that in the same area, the very first word where, the very first time where love is mentioned in the Bible, the first sacrifice of this nation of, hey, you're going to have a nation, and it's going to come from this kid, from your only son, Isaac. A whole nation will come from. Then why do I have to kill him, God? But okay, if that's what you're saying, I'm going to do it. Stop. And then God provided the lamb. 
think, I mean, maybe even if Isaac was scared, I mean, like, I don't know whether or not he was, but if he was, he probably wouldn't have talked back. Because, I don't know, I just feel like they would be, like, quiet and, you know, it's like your dad, you can respect your elders. Like, yeah. It seems like a traditional way of thinking, so I just kind of feel like that's probably why. Probably just, like, would be quiet and then, I don't know. Could be. I feel like you wouldn't start to catch an idea of what was happening until, like, they got to the top, at least, and he started to get tied up. Like, I understand he's like, he's like, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? But, like, I don't know the mindset that you have to have as a kid to be like, well, because there's no lamb, maybe Dad's going to stab me instead. Like, I don't, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your dad, but it feels like that's a little bit of a leap to get there. But, um, but yeah, at some point, Isaac is probably, I think he's like 13 or 15 at this point in time. So, like, the likelihood that he can fight back against a 100-year-old, some 100-some-year-old man uh, is, is pretty likely mm -hmm. that he could probably uh, get out of that situation if he wanted to. Yeah. Well, 100 to them is like 20. No, uh, not for Abraham. Abraham died at like 100 something. <coughs> Like Methuselah. Yeah, it was a lot earlier on when they that. lived hundreds of years. Yeah, they lived. Magic had something. Any other thoughts, comments, observations? We hear uh, the one who, the disciple who Jesus loved again. Just the way that John refers to himself. In which verse? Uh, 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Yeah. That's cool. I, I like that John refers to himself as that because it's true. Yeah. We could all be like, Oh, yeah, the, the child that God loves is up here speaking right now. The child that God loves is sitting on the couch in the chair. Yeah. All right, let's go on. 28 through 37. Somebody want to take that? I got it. Go for it. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may, might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his leg. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place in script, that, script, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read this small little part from the account of Matthew in, in the same same part of what we just read. Yep. This is Matthew 27, 34. Yeah. The soldier gave him wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he, Jesus, had tasted it, he refused to drink it. And then they nailed him to the cross, you know, he was nailed to the cross, they gambled for his clothing, they crucified him. And people are yelling and shouting at him. So in that same, in the same spot, again, this is all, this is four people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all telling their account of what happened. John was the only one who was there. And John's, you know, telling the other disciples of what happened. That's how they know their account. And then, you know, they all chose to wrote different aspects of it. So of the seven Satans, 
We have, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll come back to that. I thirst. It is finished. And then this final one, into your hands I commit my spirit. So I'm going to get to the I thirst right now. So Jesus was given something to drink twice. The first time he refused to drink it. The second time he drank it. The first time they put um, the wine with gall. Gall is a, it serves two things. It's a painkiller and it's a narcotic. So it would alleviate some pain. They do that. The reason the Romans give them some painkiller essentially is so they can last longer and be crucified and tortured longer. It was fun to them. They get to watch their prisoners be tormented longer. So they give them painkiller and it's a narcotic. So it just helps with the overall process. Um, Jesus, they, they gave it to him to drink and nope, I'm not going to take that. He refused it. He wanted to experience the entirety of the punishment set out for him. He was crucified to atone for our sins, for the sins of all men of all time, and it, he wouldn't be bearing the full weight of it if he were to take a painkiller and a narcotic. So he refused, he refused it. Then he says, I'm thirsty. I thirst. So then they take the wine and without the gall, and they put it on a hyssop branch, and they give it to him to be able to, to drink from. It's kind of like a sponge. They stab it on a sponge and kind of and give it to him so he can get a little um, drink in his mouth. Interesting thing about hyssop is this is all going on at Passover. This is all at the same time as Passover. This whole thing is right leading up to the Passover celebration, which is why the Jewish leaders are like, we got to kill him, we got to kill him now so that our hands can be clean and we can be ceremonially clean and still celebrate the Passover. So at this exact moment, hundreds and thousands and millions of Jewish people are celebrating the Passover. They just sacrificed their lambs. That's why the Kidron Valley was red, full of blood. And now they're taking the lamb with, they only used a hyssop branch. All the Jewish people are currently at this exact moment that Jesus is being crucified, are dipping their hyssop branch into the blood of their sacrificial lamb and using the hyssop branch to mark an X on the top of their doorpost so that the spirit to celebrate what Passover is all about, the spirit of the Lord passing over them. So at the same time that everyone is using hyssop and marking blood over their doorpost, Jesus is shedding his blood and being given a drink with the same item, hyssop branch. A lot of, lot of symbolism and history and everything, and all the prophecy from you know, not breaking a bone, they... Um, they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta hurry this up, break, so the reason they would break the bone, anybody know why they would break the bone of someone to finish them off quicker? Because you die from suffocation on the cross, you don't die from pain. Yeah, you die from suffocation. Because you can't push yourself up to breathe, because you're drowning in your own spit. Got it. 25 gun points. Yeah, no worries. Um, the Romans were experts at torture. They, were, they, were. they knew exactly what they were doing. There was a... Which means they're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Different conversation. Good job, Lily. Yeah, so like they probably, in, in Hebrew, at least my understanding is that the hand extends to the wrist. And the Romans, they used to, they, a lot of times they would just tie you to the cross. But if they did nail you, they'd nail it through here, through both of your bones. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's where the nerve to your funny bone goes. And it like hurts more, so yeah, they know what they're doing. They were pretty intense. So they they found a bone. Archaeologists found a bone. Um, Was it good? Uh, and it's the only evidence. It was of a bone of around that time frame, about two thousand years ago, um, based off of carbon dating and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, they they wouldn't they wouldn't nail through the hand because they're experts. It would just tear through. They were nailed through the wrist um, and, and through the feet. And they would kind of be like propped up a little bit. They'd be kind of like, you know, sitting on this tiny little thing to be able to. And, and then 
when they break their legs, they're no longer able to push up to breathe. They'd have to, whenever they wanted to, they needed to breathe, they'd have to like push up with their legs and be able to breathe a little bit because they're not able to breathe in that position. So they'd have to like push up with their legs a little bit while their feet are also nailed. And it's excruciating to do that, but they need to breathe. So they push up, it hurts, and they breathe. But now that you've broken their legs, they can't push up, so they suffocate. This is, um, this is a depiction of... It's closed all my tabs. Other note while you're pulling that up, it's cool. Yeah. Um, they usually had like a little peg or board right where the heel went that you'd push up off of. So if you want to talk about fulfilled prophecies, when it talks in Genesis, you will strike his heel. It says to the, God says to the serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Like it's talking about that, the heel of Jesus pushing up on the cross. This is a depiction based off of some of the fossilized skeleton of what they found. Um, of what likely it would have looked like for someone to have been crucified around that time. Um, but anyway, so they're going around, they're breaking the bones of the other two people, and then they get to Jesus, and they're surprised that he's dead already. Um, and it, it wasn't common for someone to die that quickly on a cross. They would let it drag, drag out to be an excruciating process for several days often. So they're like, oh, he's dead already. That's because Jesus just released his spirit. No one can take his life except for himself. He offered it to God. And that goes along with the prophecy, what we read in Psalm 22. I can account for all, all my bones are accounted for. They didn't break a single bone of his. That's also why there was the blood and water pouring out of the side. It was because he had already drowned, so it's blood mixed with water coming from the lungs. Just fun fact. Sorry, I... No, that's good. This is <laughs> ingrained in me. Sorry, There's another phrase here. This is his second to last phrase. It is finished. One word in, in what Jesus would have said. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. It is finished. That's, that's what you saw in the lady of what Facebook poorly translated. That was my word. I wrote tetelestai. That's what I posted. Just one word. Tetelestai. His second to last phrase that he said on the cross was Tetelestai. It is finished. Tetelestai has a few, um, was commonly used in a few different ways in, at that time. It was used by servants, priests, artists, and merchants. Servants would say Tetelestai when they're reporting to their master, I have completed the work assigned to me. Master, Tetelestai. I've completed the work you've assigned to me. Priests would say tetelestai when they were examining an animal for blemish uh, before they were sacrificed. If the lamb was faultless and perfect and acceptable, the priest would say tetelestai. It's acceptable. This, this can be used. Artists would say it. Uh, painter or sculptor or any type of artist. Once they put on their last final touches, whatever they're working on, Kind of look back. Tetelestai. Nothing else needs to be done here. No, no more correction or improvement. It's, it's finished. Tetelestai. And merchants would, would write a note, whether it be for a debt has been paid or something has been paid. A lot of times, generally, it was about between a creditor and, and the one who the debt was, was from. A debt has been paid. Tetelestai. Paid in full is how it would be translated, to paid in full. So we hear Jesus saying, Tetelestai, the work has been completed. It's without fault. Nothing else needs to be done. Paid in full. All these people were familiar with how the word is used, what it means. They weren't like, wait, what does he mean it's finished? They're like, what? Tetelestai, it's finished. Nothing else. Paid in full. All those translations, all those same ways that that word was used in that time all lead to what it, he just accomplished here on the cross, to tell us that. And then his final saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's in Luke, in his account. 
He's now saying, all right, God, it's finished. Now I'll give my spirit to you. And that's when he died. Any final thoughts? Can uh, somebody read a little cross-reference for me? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Is it a cross-reference? It's a cross-reference? Not a cross-reference, but... Uh, <laughs> um, a... Yeah, some of a cross-reference. Not really, but... 2 Corinthians 5.21. Anybody want to read that? 5.21. Actually, start from 17, because... 2 Corinthians 5.17 is my favorite verse. So let's go back through more verses. Sounds good. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Wow, that's sorry. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. Read just 21 again. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Awesome. So going back to one of what Jesus said, one of his phrases on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He just became sin, who knew no sin. He just took on the weight, the, the uncomprehensible amount of weight of all sin of all time. He became it. Even though he never sinned, he became sin. For whose sake? For our sake. So that we can be made right with God. That's what happened on the cross. He's not like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why do I have to do this? But he, he's in agony and he's saying, God, I... Uh, forsaken is a pretty harsh word to be abandoned, left alone, forgotten about. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not questioning. He's not questioning God and saying, why did I have to do this? Why am I going through this? God, why? But God, God cannot be in the presence of sin. So as he just took on the weight of the world, the sin of the world, he became sin. He is separated from God. He became sin. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. He's been forsaken. But then the work is finished because he overcame sin. He knew no sin. Sin had no power of him. Death had no power of him. Death, Satan tried to be like, ha ha, I win. Yeah, it's finished. I win. But he had no right. Satan had no right to, to hold on to Jesus. He had... No, what's the word in court? No, uh, no hold on him. No, no testimony. No, no account to hold him guilty. He's sinless. Anyway, let's go on. Let's finish this uh, chapter nineteen from thirty-eight to. The end, 42, and we want to take it. I'll take it. Go for it. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought him a treasurer and valued about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, 
and two of them he granted with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was just the Jew. It because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Awesome. Any final thoughts, observations? I wonder how this may smell. Like <laughs> it's strong. It's like good strong or bad strong. It depends on your preferences. <laughs> we have some that my mom whips out every Christmas because they bring them back frankincense, gold frankincense and myrrh. It's frankincense and myrrh are both very strong. Yeah. Um, it's cool to see Nicodemus again. Yeah. Come show up at the, the burial of Jesus. And I think it just goes to show that, like, the impact that Jesus has on the people that he met at that time, the impact that we can have that we never know really know what we say or might say could be meaningful to somebody that person could really take it to heart or that you know come to discover more question more ask and find Jesus and um, yeah it's just really cool yeah can we go back to verse 38 where it says, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. Who is this Joseph, and how can you identify as a disciple of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, so, and I don't know the answer to this one, but what I will say is we do know from other accounts uh, that there's a lot more people following Jesus than just the twelve. Um, in fact, there's the twelve, there's the three, right? Transfiguration three and the Garden of Gethsemane three, uh, Peter, James, and John. And then there's um, the twelve, and then there's the seventy-two, and then there's everybody else. So it's likely that he was either one of the seventy-two or one of everybody else. Okay. okay. It is, uh, I understand it. Yeah, we don't really... As far as I know, we don't really know anything else about him besides this yeah. part. Kind of like Nicodemus, we only mentioned like two, two little areas. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that a secret disciple of Jesus, it's like, yeah, I follow him. I know this guy. Kind of the opposite of Peter. Peter's like, no, I don't know this guy. <laughs> Joseph is like, yeah, I know this guy. But yeah, this would this would have been expensive. Quite a quite a sacrifice of this guy, Joseph of Arimathea. This this tomb that's never been used. And that uh, the those rocks, you know, that covered the, the entranceway would have been like three to four really strong guys that have to be able to move it. But luckily this guy got it back because Jesus only used it for three days. In my um filament app it gives a little commentary of that verse. It says, according to Luke, uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a courageous man who was waiting for the kingdom of God. You can reference that in Luke 23, 50-51. He was a wealthy and influential leader in Jerusalem and a member of the high council. And it gives a reference in Matthew and Mark who disagree with the decision to kill Jesus. He asked Pilate for the favor of burying Jesus in his personal tomb, Joseph was a secret disciple, and it gives a reference in John 12, 42 through 43, but his bold deed brought out his public support of Jesus. Yeah. Any final thoughts, anything before we close out? Yeah, I feel like um, the end is so, they make this, like, I'm like wondering where they keep him, but it's a place
they do have in the best mind. Because the only way that they could, because it was a day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So, I don't know. It was against their the Jewish law for a body to be left just hanging overnight because they would essentially defile the body and say that they're they're now cursed. It's cursing the land that, that God provided. So they would want to the Jewish once the body is dead, they wouldn't want to leave it hanging overnight. They would want to get it down quickly and bury it, wrap them, do whatever they need to do with them. asking if they had another place in mind yeah. and they kind of just they saw this one so they were lazy and put it in that one instead yeah. that's what she was saying mm -hmm. was there another place that they were oh. planning to put him as far as we know we don't know of them having a plan of what to do with Jesus afterwards because it kind of all happened real quick like you know and, and there wasn't many of them left it was John and three Marys that would have probably really been the only ones to really care about what happened to him um, at least that we know of of course, there were some secretive people who were like, you know, went to make sure he was taken care of. But as far as we know, we don't know of another plan of what they were going to do with the body before G before Joseph came and said, "Hey, let me take his body." talked about that a little bit last week about uh, life beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and hid from God versus Jesus, the new life is beginning in this garden and Jesus has been referred to as the second Adam. He is the one who presented himself to God. It's an interesting correlation. Good stuff, guys. Anybody have like a final takeaway or something that maybe they they hear something on the heart, has something on the heart, or takeaway or something from this? Everybody say Tetelestai with me on three. Tetelestai. Wait, on three or after three? <laughs> after, after three. Okay. I'll say one, two, three, and then we all say okay. Tetelestai. Okay. Right. One, two, three. Tetelestai. It is finished. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. 
I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.